0: Welcome to Lossy Mouth United Free Church Sermons Online. We're glad you could join us as we look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. If you want more information about our services or about church life, Please head over to our website at lossyufchurch.org for more resources. Let's hear God's word. And He said, The Lord rose from Zion, not as His voice from Jerusalem, the pastures of the shepherds mourn, and the top of Carmel withers. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Damascus and for four I will not revoke the punishment, because they have threshed Gilead with threshing sleds of iron. So I will send a fire upon the house of Haziel, and it shall devour the strongholds of Ben-Hadad. I will break the gates bar of Damascus and cut off the inhabitants from the valley of Avon, and him who holds a scepter from beth Eden, and the people of Syria shall go into exile to Carr, says the Lord." Thus says the Lord for three transgressions of Gaza and for four, I will not revoke the punishment because they carried into exile a whole people to deliver up to Edom. So I'll send fire upon the wall of Gaza, and it shall devour her strongholds. I'll cut off the inhabitants from Ashdod, and him who holds the scepter from Ashkelon. I will turn my hand against Ekron, and the remnant of the Philistines shall perish, says the Lord God. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Tyre and for four, I will not revoke the punishment, because they have delivered up a whole people to Edom, and did not remember the covenant of brotherhood. So I will send a fire upon the wall of Tyre, and I shall devour her strongholds. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Edom, and for four, I will not revoke the punishment, because he pursued his brother with his sword and cast off all pity, and his anger tore perpetually, and he kept his wrath forever. So I will send a fire upon Timon, and I shall devour the strongholds of Bozher. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of the Ammonites, and for four I will not revoke the punishment, because they have ripped open pregnant women in Gilead, and they may enlarge their border. So I will kindle a fire in the wall of Reba, and shall devour her strongholds, with shouting on the day of battle, and with tempest in the day of the whirlwind. And their king shall go into exile, he and his princes together. Thus is the Lord. Thus is the Lord for three transgressions of Moab and for four. I will not revoke the punishment because he burned to lime the bones of king of Edom. So I will send a fire upon Moab and shall devour the strongholds of Kiria. And Moab shall die amid uproar, amid shouting and the sound of the trumpets. I will cut off the ruler from his midst and I will kill all his princes with them, says the Lord. And thus says the Lord, For three transgressions of Judah, and for four, I will not revoke the punishment, because they have rejected the law of the Lord, and have not kept his statutes. But their lives have led them astray, those after which their fathers walked. So I will send fire upon Judah, and shall devour the strongholds of Jerusalem. And thus says the Lord, For three transgressions of Israel, and for four, I will not revoke the punishment, because they sell the righteous for silver, and the needy for a pair of sandals. Those who trample the head of the poor into the dust of the earth and turn aside the way of the afflicted. A man and his father go into the same girl so that my holy name is profaned. They lay themselves down beside every altar and garments taken in pledge and in the house of their God they drink the wine of those who have been fined. Yet it was I who destroyed the Amorite before them whose height was like the height of the cedars and who was as strong as the oak. I destroyed his fruit above and his roots beneath. Also it was I who brought you up out of the land of Egypt, and I led you for forty years in the wilderness to possess the land of the Amorite. And I raised up some of your sons for prophets, and some of your young men for Nazarites. But it's not indeed so, O people of Israel. But you made the Nazarites drink wine and commanded the prophets, saying, You shall not prophesy. Behold, I will press you down in your place, as a cart full of sheaves presses down. Flight shall perish from the swift, and the strong shall not retain his strength, nor shall the mighty save his life. He who handles the bow shall not stand, and he who is swift on foot shall not save himself, nor shall he who rides the horse save his life. And he who is stout of heart among the mighty shall flee away naked in that day, declares the Lord. May the Lord add his blessing to his word this morning. Help us as we study it together. Last week, we began our study, new study series in Amos with the overall theme of the Lion Roars." And as we began to get our bearings and opening verses of this book belonging to the minor prophets, we saw that we have a God who speaks, of course, in contrast to the lifeless idols of the pagan nations that surrounded God's people. We consider how God acts in history. He speaks to his people to make sense of those events through his word and his unfolding revelation through his prophets, through his messengers. Yes, he spoke into the immediate context of the prophets themselves, but also to his greater redemptive plan. That plan that would be realized many years in the future. We saw that the kingdom of Israel was now divided into the the two kingdoms, that of Judah and Israel. And we'll see today the pagan nations that surrounded them. However, it was God that took center stage in these opening verses. As we gleaned yet again the sheer awesomeness of the God that we serve. The God able to do all that he has said and promised so that when he speaks his words, he can be trusted. It is through the, the image of that roaring lion that we saw the, the reality of the God of Israel, our God. He's no domesticated kitten. There's a pushover. But the Lord who roars from Zion we're reminded that we should treat the God of the universe with the reverence and the awe that he deserves. He's the one that will establish Zion, the city, from where the Saviour, from the line of David, will establish his throne. However, as we see at this point, it is his justice and his judgment that comes into focus. This breaking in of God into the situation as he brings judgment affects the whole creation from the mountaintops, to the green valley pastures below. Israel's disobedience, it brought them into conflict with God. And so we are reminded that when we live in rebellion to God, we too are in conflict with Him and that we cannot hide from God. We cannot avoid Him. We cannot put off the decision that each of us have to make either to follow Him or to rebel against Him and go our own way. The wonderful thing that we know as believers is that his justice and his judgment against us have found their fulfillment at the cross and Christ. Christ has set us free and so we can live lives not bound by the chains of sin. Today as we look again at Amos we begin to see the bigger picture of Amos' message. As we thought last week, the God we serve is a God who speaks or reveals himself. He does not hide himself away, but makes himself known in his creation. He is not, as some claim, left us to our own devices. He is not disinterested in our, in our world or in our lives. What we continue to see throughout Scripture is that God is interested in this world and our lives. As we look at Amos, we see how God once again speaks into the situation of the day. The chapter break, and this is why we can read through the chapter break at chapter 2, is possibly not the most helpful for us. As we go uh, from chapter 1, verse 3 is what we'll look at today, into chapter 2. And the reason for this should and will become apparent. As we look across the text, we see a total of eight oracles of prophecies. The first six towards the surrounding nations, and then, of course, the dramatic turn against Judah and Israel themselves. And so it seems logical to take these prophecies as one study together, not verse by verse, but instead with a broader view in sight. So what we see even here is that God is not simply interested in his chosen people, but also in the surrounding nations. And, of course, that reinforces the truth that all nations are accountable to him. There is something to be learned even from this brief observation, because, especially in the context of mission, I would say. Here in Scotland, we are increasingly becoming a multi- multicultural society, which brings with it diversity, which is good. Our understanding, our horizons are broadened as we learn from others. We also have the opportunity And, of course, the challenge of speaking to people from different nations, different cultures, and, of course, different religions. Think of the nations that surrounded Israel and how they were to be a light to the nations. All those different cultures round about, different practices, and their pagan gods. But the people of God were called to point to the true God and Lord of all. In our own context, we, as the new Israel Christ's church, we are called to live distinctive lives in contrast to those round about us. We are able, as the new Israel, to do what the old Israel could not do through what Christ has completed at the cross. That does not mean that we will be uniformly the same. For as those from all the nations come to Christ, so there will be a a, a wonderful uh, diversity, but in unity. Diversity in praise and in practice, but all Christ-centered and God-focused. Different languages singing this, that one song, as the psalmist would put it. Different cultures reaching out to their own groups. Different people playing their God-given to their God-given strengths, and so the list could go on. Psalm 96, we see these words, Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all peoples. God's mission was never, never about excluding the surrounding nations from the people of God. Indeed, the people were to draw those around them into worship, worship of the Almighty. Even the laws and practices of Israel had those things built into them. And the mission remains the same today. As Piper puts it, the goal of mission is the gladness of the peoples in the greatness of God. And let me put it slightly differently. The goal of mission is the gladness of all peoples in the greatness of God. As we see in Amos, our God is not simply Lord of his chosen people, but Lord of all. In judgment, yes, but also in his mission to all people. So let's think about the surrounding nations and God's judgments. As we look at chapter 1, verse 3, through to chapter 2, verse 3, we see the oracles of judgment against the six surrounding Gentile nations. And each oracle follows, if we look at it there, a similar pattern. As it identifies firstly the nation, it points to its transgressions or its wrongs and then declares God's response to that or his judgment upon that nation. They all begin with that, saying thus says the Lord. It's as if we're in a kind of courtroom setting as the accused have their crimes read out to them. The common refrain through each article is for three transgressions and for four, and so on with this kind of ascending numbers. And it's a tool, a literary tool used by the ancient Near Eastern writers, not as simply meaning three or four wrongs or transgressions, but instead emphasising multiple and many transgressions. It is a way of signalling the complete failure on many fronts of the nation's And so as each offence is listed, it's not only the only ones, but they are to highlight their most obvious and most serious failings towards a holy and just God. Even though these nations are outside the covenant community, they still have the moral law written upon their hearts, as all humanity has. They're not exempt from God's judgment. They as all have received that general revelation of God to the world in contrast to that special revelation that God has given to his own. And they have chosen to ignore what is right. And they have chosen to act in rebellion to God. So firstly, as we cast our eye over the passage, what nations do we see? And what's their crimes? Damascus in verse 3 identifies the nation of Syria and we go on to see that its transgression is torture and great cruelty. The threshing sled was a board with iron teeth fixed to the underside of it that the oxen would pull over the grain. And the Syrians are accused of treating Gilead with extreme cruelty. And so the picture of the threshing sled portrays their treatment of the people of Gilead. Gaza, in verse 6, identifies uh, Philistia as Gaza, being one of the Philistines' strongholds. The transgressions, of course, there is slavery, but on a massive scale. It was one thing for prisoners of war to become their slaves, but they had delivered a whole people to slavery, probably referring to the capture and sale of Israelites during the reign of Jehoram. Verse 9 in the city of Tyre identifies the Phoenicians and their transgressions of breaking treaties. Term in verse ten, covenant of brotherhood, is a standard phrase of the ancient Near East used in international treaties and covenants. And of course, Tyre had broke its covenants and treaties with Israel, and so that is recorded against them here. In verse eleven, it's clearly the nation of Edom who carried out nothing short of tyranny as they wielded the sword, but with wrath and without any pity or thought for their enemy. And finally, among the Gentile nations, Ammon and Moab. The Ammonites with the great, their terrible treatment of the unborn child in that truly horrific description in verse 13. And the Moabites were the desecration of the dead described in chapter 2. The burning described in, ver, in that verse 1 shows a particular abhorrent contempt for the dead. So we look, it's quite a charge he would leveled at the nations. Each of these oracles shows their contempt for human life and God's holy anger against those that would carry out such atrocities is shown there. As one writer notes, Since humanity is in the image of God, these acts are rebellion, the punishment for which will be exile and death. So we look at each oracle, we see that reoccurring refrain I will send a fire upon the wall of, and then a city identified. I suppose we can see that simply as God's judgment and the destruction of these cities. But I think it speaks to more than just that. We also have this image of the blazing holiness of the God we serve. He can use the nations as instruments of judgment against each other and indeed against his own rebellious people. Not only will there be death, but there is that note of exile sounded throughout. When God exiled Adam and Eve from the garden, we remember that image of the the flaming sword that barred their return into into the garden. As is consistent with the rest of Scripture, God's justice and judgment are perfect. Yet let us not be too quick to bring our judgment upon these nations. Because as God speaks through Amos about these nations, he is also preparing to speak to his chosen people. We can imagine, just think about it for a moment, the smugness that could have occurred in Israel and Judah as the lion roared at the surrounding nations. And they thought, oh, look at that. But then, Pronounces his judgment as file notes. We think of it, their utter dismay when the lion pounced, and the longest and fiercest drawer is directed against themselves. And so, a chosen people and God's judgment. As the oracles move on to Judah and Israel, and of course, it's the now divided kingdom where that same pattern that's used to the the gentle nations is used to address the nations, God's people, failure, but with a different emphasis. The nations surrounding Israel had sinned against others, and so sinned against God. But God's people, called to live differently and in a different way to those around them, have sinned directly against their God. So where have they gone wrong, and what can we learn? Firstly, as we look at chapter 2 and verse 4, we read, because they have rejected the law of the Lord and have not kept his statutes. That is their primary and fundamental failure right there. This is the most serious of the charges here against God's people because the rejection of God's laws and his statutes is the reason for all the rest of their failures. They'd fail to listen to God and his word, and so they fall into idolatry. There are failures in the judicial system if, by accepting bribes, as we see in kind of verse 6, sexual immorality in verse 7, forgetting God's faithfulness in the past, verses 9, 10, and 11. And as Chesterton is quoted in saying, when men stop believing in God, they don't believe in nothing, they believe in anything. Amos speaks here to Judah and Israel but we recognise these failings much closer to home in our own land today. We have largely abandoned God's laws and statutes as a nation but more than that, there are quarters of the church that have abandoned God's word in favour of conforming to the culture of our day. However, before pride and arrogance overtake us we must examine ourselves and see that we too remain faithful to listening to God's words and walking in his ways. Because once we slip from resting on his words, all other failings follow, as they did for the people of God in Amos' day. Neither let us forget, as they had in Amos' time, God's faithfulness in the days past. Even now, as we reflect upon how God has taken us through our current crisis and continues to be with us as we continue the challenging days ahead, Amos is a reminder to God's people of their reliance and their dependence on Him. And yet, so often pride makes us think we can go it alone. As we come to verse 13 of chapter 2, after the sins of Judah and Israel have been identified, we come to the inevitable announcement of judgment, just like the other nations. The difference, however, to the other nations is that they're without excuse because God has led them. He's led them and protected them. He's given them a land. He's been their salvation, taking them out of Egypt. Yet they behave as if they're ignorant to the God that will now bring his judgment to bear. We are not ignorant today of what God has done for us and we are without excuse when we know of and trust in the God that saves. At a national level, if we continue on this trajectory that we're currently on in our nation, it's not going to end well for us. We must call people to repentance and are turning to God. We must be the prophetic voice of our day warning that straying from God's law and statutes will be our downfall. And so as we finish today, we look at these passages and we see that God is Lord over all, over every nation, over every life, whether people recognize it or not. A day of judgment is coming, and the only saviour is Christ, whose gospel we preach. Our God is a God of justice and has a concern for injustice in our world. The nations and their atrocities grieve him as the atrocities, they grieve him in that day as they do in this day as well. The increased violence in the Middle East, the tyrannical rule against many nations, human slavery and trafficking. But we do not simply preach social justice or social justice for all. But we preach the gospel, the gospel of Christ, out of which will flow the fruits of the gospel as people care for one another, love one another, seek reconciliation rather than conflict, and fairness for all, regardless of creed, color, or tongue. Amos points to the cruelty of our present world. But we remember that he finishes in chapter 9 with the new world that will be established. We now can point to the new life that is available through Christ and the new heaven and the new earth that, will be, that has, is being ushered in already and will be fully consummated in Christ's returning. God is gathering a people from all nations. For as Paul declares in Romans, Jesus Christ our Lord through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all nations. How desperately does our own nation need that message of hope and truth today? The question I want to finish with and I want to leave you with is will we bring it to our communities, our cities, our towns, the estates, the gated community? Will we bring the good news of Christ to bear? Let's take a moment in prayer. Let's pray. Lord, we give thanks for your word, the words of the prophets as we study them today. And we see that they have a message not just for Amos's own time, but for our day today. We pray, Lord, for our land that we would return to you we have strayed far and lord we pray that as your people we would sound the alarm that we would tell people of where we are going if we do not turn to christ as lord and savior so lord hear our prayers and go before us in our work for you as we leave this place in jesus name amen